always a privilege to bring us God's word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 to 15. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Uh, if you're following along on a mobile device and you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, but it's also going to be on the screen uh, behind me as well. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. This is the reading of God's word. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us as we jump right in. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. We're gathered here today in the midst of so much going on in our world. And we don't want to turn away um, from the violence that's happening on the other side of the world, um, of the tragedies that continue to happen all around us. Um, but we, like Moses in the passage, want to turn aside and look because we believe you're always speaking to us. And today we believe you're speaking to us through your word. So would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive what you would have for us today. We entrust this time and our lives into your loving hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you've been with us the past few months, you know that our church is in a series, a year-long series right now called Childlike Wonder, where we are preaching through every story in the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a popular children's Bible. And, and again, we're doing this so we can learn to approach Scripture with the eyes and posture of a child, uh, with the posture of curiosity and wonder and awe. 
And we spent the last uh, two months in the book of Genesis, and today we're moving into the book of Exodus, into the life of a man named Moses. And, and Moses is a huge character in the Bible, and we're going to spend uh, the next few weeks unpacking some of the key moments in his life. And today uh, we come to the very familiar story of Moses and the burning bush, okay? And the first thing I want us to understand as we get into this is that when, in, when Moses encounters God at the burning bush, he is 80 years old, okay? He's 80 years old. And I want you to think about this. We're at the beginning of the book of Exodus. So we're, we're in Exodus chapter 3. There are 40 chapters in Exodus. And Moses is already 80 years old in Exodus 3. And you're wondering, like, is there really 37 more chapters to write about his life? And yet in God's timeline, Moses' story is barely beginning. Everything Moses is known for, freeing the Israelites from 400 years of slavery, setting up the tabernacle, leading God's people through the wilderness into the promised land, all of it happened after the age of 80. Now, I want to point this out because we live in a culture and in a city that glorifies youth, right? In LA, uh, if you are trying to pursue something in entertainment and you are in your like mid to late 20s, people say you're too old. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to crush anyone's dreams, okay? That's what they say. You know, I just recently turned 40, and, you know, I was thinking back, and I feel like when you're 20, you're like, oh, there's so much I want to do with my life. You know, when you're 30, you're like, oh, man, I better hurry up and get done what I want to do with my life. And when you're 40, you're like, this is my life, you know? Like, this is what I got. You know, it's very sad, okay? Um, and it doesn't help that, obviously, we live in an era of social media, we're constantly watching everyone else around us making moves, landing jobs, getting married, having kids, getting book deals, progressing, toward, progressing forward in life. And we often feel like we're getting left behind if we're not accomplishing certain things by a certain age, right? In LA, it feels like you're given this like very small window to make your life matter. And if you miss that window, it's gone for good. Well, Moses' life, for all intents and purposes, begins at the age of 80. Like, we don't have any 80-year-olds in our congregation, but if we did, and an 80-year-old was in a community group, I guarantee you, nobody in that community group would be like, bro, God has big plans for your life. <laughs> no, you, you would be like, you're gonna meet your maker soon, you know? <laughs> get, like, get ready, okay? And yet, in case you haven't noticed by now, this is God's MO. God appears to Abraham when he's 75 years old, and he says, I'm going to bless the nations through you. Sarah has Isaac when she's 90, right? God tends to use and choose the very people whom the world has deemed too old, too weak, unlovable, past their prime, unable to produce. These are the people God is drawn to and the very people for whom God reserves his most important tasks. Now, let me give you a little bit of context as to how Moses gets to the burning bush because the backstory is very important, okay? Moses was born a Hebrew in a world that was not kind to Hebrews, okay? He was born in Egypt where his people were slaves. Um, at the very top of the food chain was Pharaoh who ruled his nation with an iron fist um, who ruled people in fear. Well, in chapter one of Exodus, we read that Pharaoh's starting to feel threatened, okay, because the population of Hebrews is growing. And so he comes up with a plan to have every male Hebrew child drowned in the Nile River. It's one of the first acts of genocide 
we see in the Bible. Well, it's clear, though, even as a baby, that there is a special favor on Moses' life. Because if you know how the story goes, Moses doesn't die in the river. In fact, he's rescued by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. He's brought into Pharaoh's house, and he's raised as Pharaoh's son in the royal palace. He's the prince of Egypt. He's the heir to Pharaoh's throne. Top-notch education, trained by the brightest and the best, uh, had all opportunities and privileges available to him. Well, in Exodus 2, we read that at 40 years old, Moses makes a pretty big mistake. Okay, he goes for a walk. He sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew. His rage gets the better of him, and then he ends up killing the Egyptian in cold blood, and he ends up burying the body. Okay, and Moses' intention was good, but he was clearly a loose can cannon. He couldn't control his anger, and he tried to take matters into his own hands, and he only ended up making things worse, right? And isn't this what always happens when we try to take matters into our own hands? We usually end up make, making things worse. Well, from that point on, his life, which was once so full of promise and potential, begins to unravel, right? We've all heard those stories. We've all watched the Netflix documentaries, people who had their whole life in front of them. They make one mistake, and then in an instant, they lose it all. They had every open door available to them, make one mistake, boom, gone in an instant, right? And so at the beginning of Exodus 3, Moses is basically a shell of himself, okay? Like, because he has now been, after that one mistake, he has to flee for his life in the desert, and he ends up spending the next 40 years in complete obscurity. He's a nobody. He's an 80-year-old man tending sheep for his father-in-law. This is where we are in Exodus 3, okay? The Athletic uh, recently ran a story um, about Delonte West. He's a former NBA basketball player, was a college star, had a pretty solid NBA career, made upwards of $16 million, and they talked about his life in the years after he retired. And only a few years after he re retired, he was still um, working through a lot of mental health issues, um, had problems with substance abuse. And the very next time people saw him after his retirement was in a photo. And it was a photo of him begging for money outside of a 7-Eleven in Virginia. This is where he ended up. So much promise, so much potential. You have to imagine the people who played basketball with him growing up, like, that guy, what happened to him? Well, this is what happens to Moses. This is Moses' life. Right? Moses was a miracle baby. He should not have been alive, and he should definitely not have been able to grow up in a Pharaoh's house. He had all these opportunities that weren't available to other Hebrews. Like, he was destined for great things. And you have to imagine he's sitting there in Midian a day or two after he has to flee for his life, and you have to imagine what's going through his mind. He's thinking, how did this happen? How did this slip away? Like, how did my life come to this? And maybe for the first year or two in the desert, he's thinking like, okay, you know, like maybe that was just a setback, small mistake. I could get back, you know, things can come back to normal. But you got to think 10 years go by, 20 years go by, 30 years, 40 years go by. And at that point, Moses is probably thinking, my favor has run out now. Maybe it's time to let go of these dreams. It's time to hang it up. Now you have all these younger, more gifted people, leaders out there. My time has passed. 
But you see, this is precisely the moment God says, now you're ready. Now you're ready to do great things for me. Just when you think you have no use or no value in life is exactly when you're of use to God. Time and time again, God reveals himself to his people when they are in their most helpless, broken, useless state. When they have nothing left to boast, nothing of any dignity and worth, what on the surface looked like Moses rotting away in Midian was not rotting, it was ripening. God was waiting for Moses to ripen. The only place this could happen was in the wilderness, in obscurity. And the fact that this is how the story of the Exodus begins is very telling. It's telling us something very profound, that freedom often begins in obscurity. It begins when we are brought low. Because you see, it's hard to hear God when we're distracted by our busy schedules, our demanding careers, our obsession with amassing likes, follows, influence, status. We cannot hear the voice of God because the world is too loud. Obscurity strips away all the noise. It slows everything down. And whether you're in the wilderness because, because of something you did or something put you in the wilderness, there is no education like the kind of education you get in obscurity. Moses used to be on New York time. He's going places. He's driven. Everyone's telling him he's destined for greatness. He's not stopping for anyone or anything. He's climbing up the ladder. In Midian, Moses' life is slow. There's no more people to please, no dream to accomplish, no five-year plan, which is why when he sees the bush burning up, he actually has the bandwidth to stop to turn aside, to go over there and look, right? When you actually read this text, the narration, the story goes really slow. It's like Moses is walking, he's tending sheep, he sees this bush that is not burning up. And then it says, Moses stops, he turns aside, and he goes over there and asks, why is this bush not burning up? It's very slow and it's meant to do something to us because it's very frustrating when you read this at times, but it's meant to slow us down. And this is what happens in the wilderness. We slow down. Many of us don't even have the margin in our life to see what God is trying to show us because we're too busy working, too busy achieving, too busy doing. Moses had nothing to do and this was the beauty of his life. In L.A., if you have nothing to do, it's like something's wrong with your life, right? People look really apologetic when I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, nothing. This is amazing. Moses had nothing to do, and this was the beauty of his life. You see, this is what obscurity does. It moves us from a paradigm of doing to a paradigm of being. It's what author Ruth Haley Barton refers to as the you that exists beyond any role you play, any job you perform, any relationship that seems to define you, any notoriety or success you may have achieved. I was thinking the other day that like PKs and child actors, very similar, okay? Very common thread. At, from a very young age, people tell you, you have to be this and you have to do this and you have to perform in a certain way because of the way everyone else is perceiving you, 
right? And this is why so many child actors and PKs, no offense if you're a PK or a child actor, but this is why so many of them get jacked up later on in life because they have like crazy identity crises. So much of their life has been defined by what they did and they have no idea who they are. And in obscurity, there's nothing else to do. There's nothing to do. There were things about leadership that Moses could never have learned in a palace. He needed to learn them in the pit. If you know how the story goes, nobody performs more miracles than Moses. There's no one God trusts more to lead his people out of slavery through the wilderness. But Moses can't do any of that unless he experiences the wilderness for himself. Can you imagine, right, if the angry, violent Moses of Exodus 2, the guy who couldn't control his temper, like if that guy just goes straight to Egypt, frees God's people from 400 years of slavery, and has to deal with all these people for 40 years just complaining all the time. It's like, life was so much better in Egypt. Send us back there. We want to eat. If you were Moses, you would kill them all, right? I mean, like, why not? His anger hasn't been dealt with. He needed this time in the wilderness. Moses was destined for greatness, but God needed to make him low first. He needed to strip Moses of his self-righteousness, of his pride, of his self-sufficiency. And I'm sure Moses could not see it in real time. You know, there's a saying that obscurity is where God is at work in you, but you don't know that God is at work in you. You see, if you feel like today you are in a wilderness season of your life, you feel like a nobody, you feel like a shell of yourself, you don't see your life progressing at the rate you hoped, could it be that you're not in a rotting season, but in a ripening one? Could it be that God isn't punishing you, but preparing you for what he wants to do next, that God is actually getting you to a place where you can actually hear his voice? Could it be that this season is God's way of rewiring your heart to teach you how to depend on him? Some of you are like, but I've been in a slump for like an entire year. It's been two years now. Nothing's happening. Don't say that in front of Moses. Forty years in the wilderness. Every person in the Bible who did anything noteworthy lived large chunks of their life in obscurity. Jesus himself lived most of his life in obscurity. Think about this. Everything we know about Jesus, all the miracles he performed, everything good that he did, all the demons he cast out, all the healings that he performed, all of that happened within a window of three years. The other 30 years of his life, he was a nobody. He was a lowly carpenter. And we don't really read too much about that. And you're asking yourself, how is it that the Savior of the world spent so much of his life in complete obscurity? Like if he, start, if, he, if he at least started when he was in his 20s, maybe he would have healed more people. Maybe he would have done greater things. Like maybe he could have like performed more miracles, fed more people who were hungry. Why? But maybe living in obscurity was always part of the plan. Maybe Jesus needed 30 years to prepare for the three. 
Maybe being a nobody for all those years wasn't a waste of time. Maybe it was exactly the way it was scripted so that by the time Jesus began his ministry, he was operating not out of a place of doing, but out of a place of being. So that no matter what he did, he would not be defined by his miracles. He's such a great guy, he healed me. No. That no matter what he did, he would always be defined by his relationship to his Father. You see, God meets us in obscurity. But not only does God meet us in obscurity, he also meets us in the ordinary. Moses isn't at some revival meeting. He's not on a mission trip. He's not doing something spectacular when God encounters him. He's tending sheep. Tending sheep. He's doing the same thing he'd been doing for the past 40 years. Friends, do not despise the ordinary and the mundane because it is in the ordinary and the mundane that we often have our most profound encounters with God. Most of the time when we imagine God's work in our lives, we always think about the miraculous. We think big, we dream big, we expect big. People always say, I feel like God wants to do something big in my life. What if God wants to do something big exactly where you're at? And not that God won't ever show up in these ways, but if you look at some of the greatest miracles in the Bible, they don't start big. Most of the greatest moves of God are preceded by the simplest acts of obedience. It was in the ordinary rhythm of Moses' life that he was able to turn aside and look at this great sight. In L.A., we often feel like we have to be doing something big, spectacular all the time for our lives to mean something. We have to start a company. We have to build a successful brand. We have to go viral. Not realizing that the size of your influence or your organization or your ministry literally has zero impact on God. He could care less. The bigger question is, are you committed to serving the Lord everywhere you are because God only gives us big things when we're faithful with the small things, the things that we do when nobody's watching. You see, it's always the people who are grasping for power, grasping for leadership, grasping for influence, who for some reason never get it. And when they do, those are the people who don't know how to wield it because they don't have the maturity to be able to handle the responsibility when it's given to them. More often than not, it's the people who are faithful with the small things with the ordinary things. It's the, those people who are able to steward positions of influence and leadership well. Moses had finally gotten to a place in his life where he was no longer grasping for power, no longer trying to make something of himself. He was just staying with the few things that kept him grounded in the reality of his own life as it had been given to him. He was just tending sheep. He was just serving his father-in-law. He was just doing his job day in and day out. And so let me ask you here, how are you doing with the life you've been given? Not the life you want, not the life you think you deserve, not the person you aspire to be. How are you being obedient in the ordinary mundane rhythms of your life as it has been given to you today? How are you loving the people you see every day, 
the people you work with, your small group, your friends, your family? How are you managing the responsibilities that are right in front of you? How are you stewarding the resources and the relationships that you have right now? So many times we're thinking about, I wish I had that, or when I have this, or when I'm friends with him. How are you doing with the life you've been given today? Because it's when we learn to be faithful in the ordinary mundane rhythms of our lives that we are primed not only to notice God, but to be used by God for his purpose. This is why when God calls out from the bush and he says, Moses, Moses, immediately without hesitation, Moses says, here I am. For years, he's been broken. He's been, become content with the ordinary and he's just shown up every day, and now Moses' ears are tuned to the sound of God's voice. And so God says, Moses, Moses, he says, here I am. And I think it's very fitting that the first thing God says is take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground, as if to show us that an ordinary spot in an ordinary desert on an ordinary day can be a holy encounter. I wonder if today might be a day like that for some of you in this room. It's not Easter Sunday, it's not Christmas, it's not a special Sunday, it's just an ordinary Sunday. You're here maybe doing what you do every week, coming to church. But I wonder if on this ordinary Sunday that perhaps God desires to speak to you and meet you in ways you could not fathom, that you did not even expect when you got here. And when he calls your name, the question is, will you respond like Moses? Here I am. Your servant is listening. So the image we have here is Moses, and he's standing barefoot in front of this burning bush. And listen to what God says. God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he goes on to say, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I have seen their misery. I have heard their crying and I have come down to rescue them. I have seen, I have heard, and I have come down. Is there a better summary of the gospel? That is the mission of God in one phrase. I have seen, I have heard, and I have come down. Anytime you see something on the news and you feel absolutely overwhelmed, anytime you experience a circumstance or situation in your life when you feel absolutely overwhelmed, you can put your trust in the God who sees, the God who hears, and the God who comes down. This has been his MO since the very beginning. Now what happens next though is very interesting. God says, I've seen, I've heard, I've come down to rescue them. Moses is like probably thinking, nice, this is great. And God is like, so you go. If I'm Moses, I'm gonna come again, right? You said like you were gonna rescue them. And God says, I, I am gonna rescue them, you go. You go to Pharaoh. You free my people from Egypt. Wait, but God, that's your job. He's like, no, you go. Often we say, God, do you care about all the suffering happening in the world? God, do you care about all the injustice happening all around us? Do you care about my friend who's been struggling with depression for the past few years? And God says, I do see it. 
I do hear it. Now you go. You be the friend that your friend needs. You go be a voice for people who don't have a voice. You go serve the marginalized. You fight for the causes I care about. You be an embodiment of my love everywhere you go. And Moses' response to God is very indicative to what the wilderness has done to him. He says, who am I that I should go? Who am I? Moses at 35 would have been like, thought you'd never ask. I'm ready. I've been ready. Moses at 80 is like, who am I? There must be better people than me. There must be leaders who are stronger, more capable, more gifted than I am. And notice, God doesn't disagree with him. He doesn't say, Moses, don't you know who you are? You're Moses. You're the miracle baby. You're the golden child. You're the one who was raised in Pharaoh's house. You have all the skills and you have all the tools you need. You got this. No, he doesn't say that. He gives him one line. He says, I will be with you. Very interesting response to who am I? Right? It's like if you're a guy and you say to your friends, like, man, I'm really interested in this one girl. She's so out of my league, right? And you want your friends to be like, no, she's not out of your league. Like, you got this, right? It sucks when your friends are like, no, no, don't worry. Like, all the past guys she's dated, super successful, really good looking. She's looking for something different now, so you got a chance. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, thank you? Like, am I supposed to thank you for that? Or it's like Moses is like, I'm not capable of doing this. Right? Who am I? I'm 80 years old. God's like, I don't disagree with that. But I will be with you. Because from this point on, you will no longer be defined by what you can do. You will be defined by who's with you. God, I don't know if I have what it takes to get through this season. And he says, I will be with you. God, I don't know if I have what it takes to juggle work and family and all the other responsibilities that I have. God says, I will be with you. God, I don't know if I have what it takes to lead this organization, this company, this church. I will be with you. And notice God makes very clear what being with you looks like. He doesn't say, I will be with you so you can have everything you want on your terms. He doesn't say, I will be with you to help you accomplish your dreams and bring your desires to fruition. When Moses asks him, what do I say when they ask me what your name is? He says, I am who I am. Not I am who you want me to be. Not I am who you think I am. I am who I am. I do not yield to you. You yield to me. I am dependent on nobody. I am who I am. Things will not make sense along the way, Moses. Like, there are going to be some locusts and some frogs, and I'm going to tell you to take some lamb's blood and put it on a door, and you're going to be like, really? Like, what is, what is going on? This is how you want me to do it? I am who I am. We're going to do it my way. I will be with you, but I am who I am. Now, you might ask, how do I know God is with me? How can I be sure that when things don't make sense, that he's there? How can I trust God in the wilderness 
Moses was probably asking himself the same question, but you see, the answer was staring Moses dead in the face. Exodus 3 is what we call a theophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of God. And I think it's very significant here that God's voice does not come from outside the fire. It comes from within the fire. What God is showing Moses is this. Moses, I know you thought I forgot about you. I know you thought your story was over. I know you're scared about what's on the horizon, but know this. I am the God who is not outside the flame, but the God who is inside the flame. I am the God who is with you in the valley of the shadow of death. I am the God who walks through the fire so that the fire will not consume you. And this is not just a message for Moses. This is a message for all of humanity. It's a foreshadowing of what Jesus will do thousands of years later after this event. You see, the gospel is a story of a God who sees, a God who hears, and a God who comes down to dwell with his people. And he doesn't just dwell with his people. On the cross, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is completely consumed by the fire so that you and I would not be. Moses walks over and he says, how is this bush not consumed? In fact, I've taken off my shoes and I'm in the presence of a holy God. How am I not consumed? You got to think these are going through Moses' mind. And it's as though God wants to say, this is my guarantee that I will be with you in every season and in every circumstance. There is no fire that can consume us because Jesus Christ has already walked through the greatest fire. This is our hope today. So this morning, wherever you are, whatever season of life you find yourself in, will you stop and turn aside to see this God who sees you, who hears you, and who's come down to rescue you. Let's pray. I want to give us a moment just to sit with that. They often say that the earth is bursting with the goodness of God, but only those who turn aside and look can see it. God is always speaking. God is always calling. There are burning bushes everywhere. The question is, are you looking? Are you listening? God revealed himself to Moses when Moses needed him the most. And he spoke the words Moses so desperately needed to hear. I will be with you. What might God be saying to you this morning? What promises do you need to be reminded of today? Would you take a moment to pause, to turn aside and look? Let's take that moment now.
Gracious God, we thank you for this story. We thank you for your word that is a healing balm to our souls. We thank you that you're a God who doesn't just promise to get us through the valley of the shadow of death. You're a God who tells us you're with us in the valley of the shadow of death. You're a God who doesn't speak to us outside of the flames, but a God who speaks to us from within the flames. As a God who walks before us, who's gone through the fire so that no fire in this life could consume us. Father, we know that sometimes we find ourselves in seasons when we, we genuinely feel as though our stories are coming to a close or that there is nothing else good that could come out of our lives where we find ourselves in obscurity. But in those moments, may we remember a God who sees, who hears, and who's come down to rescue us who has a calling and a purpose for all of our lives. May we learn to see you in the ordinary moments. May we learn to see you in everyday simple acts of obedience. And I ask for everyone in this room, especially for those of us who find themselves in a wilderness season of their lives, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a powerful, profound way this morning. We thank you so much for this word. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.